0: amen and good morning the title of this sermon is the greatness of God on and on behalf of the pastor elders just want to thank you for live streaming with us this morning if you are new i want to give a brief review of what's been taking place in the book of isaiah chapter 40 starts a shift in isaiah In chapters 1 through 39, because Judah did not trust in the Lord for their deliverance and protection from their attacks, from enemy attacks, uh, Isaiah walked Judah through the coming attack of the Assyrians. And after the Lord defeated the Assyrians in chapter 39, in chapter 40, Isaiah walked Judah through their captivity to the Babylonians. You could say that in chapters one through 39, Isaiah addressed their current circumstances, and in chapter 40, Isaiah prophesied about their future circumstances. Lastly, you could say that in chapters one through 39, it's about the confrontation of God with his people, and in chapters 40 through 66, They're about the comfort of God for his people. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning that ever so reveals who you are to us. We thank you that your word this morning brings with it such great encouragement, such great assurance, such great comfort. And I do pray now that you would um, help me by the power of your Holy Spirit to preach your word faithfully that it may build up your church. I pray that uh, for your church that you would grant us the gift of illumination, illumine our hearts and our minds to your word. Father, I pray that you would remove every distraction, um, everything that seeks to take us, take our focus and gaze off of you. And I pray that we would uh, fix our eyes on you that we would be hearers of your word um, and doers as well. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. GW Target wrote a short story called The Window. It's about two men who were seriously ill. They were roommates in a small hospital room. One man occupied the bed near the window and the other man occupied the bed near the wall. Each day, the man by the window um, had to be propped up so that the, the, fluid in, the fluids in his lungs would drain. And each day he looked out the window, he would begin describing what the day looked like outside for his roommate. The window overlooked a park with a lovely lake, the man said. Ducks and swans played while children played with their model boats. Lovers walked arm in arm amid flowers of every color of the rainbow. Grand old trees grazed the landscape and a fine view of the city uh, could be seen at a distance. As the man by the window described all this in detail, the man by the wall would close his eyes and imagine the picturesque scene. And he began to live for these moments. One warm afternoon, the man by the window described the parade that went by in its descriptive detail, by its descriptive detail, Though the man by the wall could not see it or hear it, he could see it in his mind's eye. Unexpectedly, an alien thought entered his head. Why should he have all the pleasure of seeing everything outside while I never get to see anything? It just doesn't seem fair. Late one night, as he lay staring at the ceiling, the man by the window began to cough. He was choking on the fluids in his lungs. The other man watched in the dimly lit room as the man struggled by the window, groping for the button to call for help. Listening from across the room, he never moved. He never pushed the button, which could have sent all the nurses running into the room. And in less than five minutes, the coughing and the choking stopped, along with the sound of breathing. Now, there was only deathly silence. The following morning, the nurse, the day nurse, came only to discover that the man by the window had passed away. And so she had called the attendants who came and took the body away. And as soon as it seemed appropriate, the other man asked if he could be moved in the bed by the window. And after the nurse moved him and after she made sure that he was comfortable, he left she left him to rest. Slowly and painfully, he propped up himself on one elbow to take his first look. Finally, he could see for himself all that he had missed only to stare at a brick wall outside the window this reminds me that how we view our circumstances affects how we view or how we live our lives. In a similar way in our text, how Judah viewed God affected how they lived their lives. Judah had lost their side of who their God is. We see this in verse 27. God was a covenant keeper, but Judah was was. Um, despite under their unbelief, God was a faithful God, despite Judah's unbelief. Isaiah prophesied that Judah would become low in spirit from losing hope during their Babylonian captivity. Can you relate today in your own circumstances? Sometimes we lose sight of how great God is and we begin to be hopeless. We begin to live with a low spirit. But when, we hold the, but when we behold the greatness of God, we will see everything in life in its proper perspective. In a sense, Isaiah was seeking to help Judah refocus their gaze on the greatness of God to comfort them in their circumstances. And in the same way, when we behold the greatness of God, fear turns into courage. In our weakness, we are strengthened. Sorrow turns into joy, hopelessness turns into assurance. So here's what I believe the main burden is of our text this morning. Nothing compares to the greatness of God. Therefore, church, we are to lift up our eyes. We are to lift up our gaze to him who is great in his might and strong in his power to keep us. Trinity, how big is your view of God in light of your current circumstances? Let me ask, let me ask this in, in a different way. Is your view of your current circumstances bigger than your view of God? Now, not to minimize the circumstances that you are in in any way, but not one of your current circumstances is greater than the greatness of God. There are no great circumstances that God cannot overcome. Nothing compares to the greatness of God and what he can do. Knowing this can bring comfort to you. Knowing this can change how you live your life. Therefore, church, God, through Isaiah 40, wants us to lift our eyes. He wants us to fix our gaze upon him and his greatness, in his might, in his strength, in his power to keep us this day. Verses 12 through 20 shows us that that God is greater than anything in this earth. Would you look with me at verse 12? Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? While Isaiah was was prophesying about, the, about Judah's future captivity in Babylon, he anticipated some questions that the people might have. For instance, can God deliver us from the Babylonians? Or has God given up on us because of our sins? Isaiah comforted the nation of Judah with a resounding No. These rhetorical questions assured or comforted God's people that God not only wanted to deliver them, but that he was able to. Now, it's one thing to say that you want to do something, but it's another thing to be able to do it. The answer to the question in verse 12 is no one but God. Have you ever carried a five-gallon a bucket of water? Or have you ever moved a wheelbarrow full of dirt? If you have, then you know they are heavy. Your hands begin to hurt, your arms begin to burn, and your forehead begins to sweat. Church, there is none on earth who can measure all the lakes, who can measure all the rivers and all the oceans put together in the hollow of his hand or mark off the heavens with a span or enclose the dust of all the earth in a measure and weigh the mountains in a scale. But God, church, there are no circumstances that our great God cannot handle. There are no circumstances in your life that, that God can't deliver you from. Look to God, for he is great in his might and he is strong in his power to care for all of your needs. There's no burden in your life that our great God can't lift. Take your burdens to God and he will either lift them up from you or he will give you the strength to persevere and endure through them. Look with me at verses 13 and 14. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? The answer to these rhetorical questions is no one. The apostle Paul quoted verse 13 in Romans eleven thirty four. 34. He says this, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Paul's answer, we see this in verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever, amen. The short answer is no one. Now notice how Paul ended worship. To him be glory forever. Amen. Church, God's greatness should lead us to worship. Trinity, God alone is the one who established all of creation. He is omnipotent and omniscient. Therefore, he is worthy of our praise. Therefore, he is worthy of our trust during these uncertain times. He is more than able to deliver us from from or through any circumstance that we find ourselves in. Tradition has it that in the ancient Near East, the gods of the Babylonians that spawned all of creation had to consult a divine council. God does not need to consult with anyone or anything to gain more wisdom and to gain more knowledge. He is the all-powerful, all-knowing God. And for those of us who are looking to other things in this world to deliver us from present circumstances, those things only lead to failure and disappointment. Let's look to God who is greater than anything in this world. He is able to bring deliverance. And as believers, even though we fail in sin, God remains faithful and God has not given up on us. The greatness of God is also seen in the minuteness of man. Look with me at verse 15. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Having been attacked by the Assyrians and now the Babylonian threat looms in the air, both of these empires would have, would have seemed invulnerable to Judah. Isaiah sought to comfort and assure Judah by showing them the greatness of God. Have you ever watched a child um, take a bucket of seawater from the ocean? Did you notice that the horizon dropped a few levels from the sky? Of course not. Oh, have you ever noticed that when your scale at home gets dusty that the needle goes up? Of course not. You You didn't have to dust off your scales right before you got on so that it wouldn't register a higher weight. Well, the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and for that matter, the Persians and the Romans were like a drop from a bucket. They were like nothing in comparison to the greatness of God. What comfort this truth would have brought to the nation of Judah. Look with me at verses 16 and 17. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel nor nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering all the nations are as nothing before him they are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness lebanon was famous for its massive forest and its abundant wildlife they were known for the cedars of lebanon they were the greatest living things in the the ancient near east but they were not enough to give God the kinds of altar fires that he deserves. Even if all the animals in the forest were offered as a burnt offering, they would have still been insufficient. Trinity, there was only one sufficient offering, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the Son of God. Trinity, behold the greatness of God in our deliverance and our salvation. Verse 17 says, all the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Now, I want to be clear about this. Even though Isaiah is saying that all these nations are as nothing and they are accounted as less than nothing and emptiness, He's not saying that God does not love this, the, the other nations. God loves the nations. This is why God used the nation of Judah to proclaim the good news of the gospel to the other nations. God has always planned to bless the nations through the nation of Israel. What Isaiah is saying is that before the greatness of God, in comparison... These nations are as nothing before him. In terms of God's greatness, they are accounted by him as even less than nothing and emptiness. This is precisely why the nation of Judah should place their trust and their hope on God for their deliverance. This is precisely why we should place our hope and trust in God for our deliverance in our in, in our current circumstances and so let me ask you this what do you need to be delivered from do you need to be delivered from sickness God is greater than any sickness and he is the great healer do you need to be delivered from the lack of finances God is the great provider Do you need to be freed from drugs and alcohol or pornography? God is the great deliverer. Run to him for your deliverance. Now, if you don't consider yourself a Christian, if if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, if you are an unbeliever, then I want to make an appeal to you. Your greatest need for deliverance is from the wages of your sin which is death. God is not only a great deliverer but he is also great in love and mercy. Confess and repent of your sins and believe in him. Place your faith and trust in God and watch him bring deliverance in your life. Watch him transform you in your life. You look with me at verses 18 through 20. To whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? An idol, a craftsman cast it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot he seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. These verses reminds me of the account of the Philistians or the Philistines and their god Dagon in Samuel first, first Samuel chapter five. I figure this is probably where we got the saying Dagon. When the Philistines captured the Ark of God. They brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon, and it set up and set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early in the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. And so they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord and the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. O church. God is greater than anything on this earth. All creation shows his wisdom, his immensity, his greatness. He's greater than all the nations put together. He's greater than all the the gods put put together. Nothing is equal to, to our God, let alone greater than God. God alone is God. So, in sarcasm, Isaiah compares God with a man made idol. The false idols in the ancient Near East had to be fashioned or made by craftsmen, and they, they even had to be dressed. They, they overlaid it with gold. They couldn't even stand firm. They had to, to make silver chains to firm it, to, uh, to secure it firmly. Daggone, he fell again. <laughs> what about you, church? What are yours and my idols? Is your idol comfort food do you run to food when you experience various kinds of trials and adversities is it social media when you begin to experience adversities and when and when you want to escape the realities of your circumstances is it alcohol is it drugs or is it shopping to satisfy the desires of your flesh now some of these things are not inherently bad, but if we run to them for our deliverance, then they become idols. They can't deliver you and me from painful circumstances. They only lead to failures and disappointments. They can only give us a false sense of security. They can't provide lasting comfort. All the idols offer a false promise. They promise joy that lasts Only for a moment. God is a good father. He is the God of comfort. First Corinthians one. Let's run to him when we are afraid. He is the only one who can comfort us. Let's run to him when we are in need. God is the only one who can deliver us and provide for all of our needs. God is the true source of true joy and lasting comfort. And it is found, this true comfort is found in being in Christ Jesus. God is greater than anything on this earth. And now we'll see that God is greater than anything in heaven. Verses 21 through 26 Basically, recaps the answers to the basic questions that we saw in verses 12 through 14. So, in verses 21 and 22, God is the creator of everything, therefore, he is superior to the rulers of the world. His throne is not on earth, his throne is in heaven. All the nations and all the rulers who inhabit this earth are like grasshoppers compared to his greatness. The princes or the rulers of the land, God brings to nothing and makes them as emptiness. Like the weightless stubbles and the chaff, they're blown away by the wind. They are like grass and flowers. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on them. God bless our president, President Trump, and his administration church. We need to continue to pray for them. We need to continue to pray for him as they care for our country. Now, I'm not not trying to make a political statement. If you know me, that would be absolutely true. I'm just trying to be biblical. As Christians, we need to make our Bibles bigger than our politics. First Timothy 2 instructs us that we ought to pray for our leaders. God put in place our national and state leaders for our good and for our protection, but God did not intend to put them in place for our ultimate hope. No, our God is our ultimate hope. The stimulus checks are meant to relieve us of our financial uh, burdens, but they are only temporary. God is the one who is the ultimate provider. Listen to this, church. God provided his only son to relieve us, not of uh, financial burdens, but to relieve us from the burdens of the wages of our sin, which is death. Our God is great. He's great in compassion, He's great in, in, in his love, He's great in his mercy and he's long suffering and he is forbearing, even when we are not faithful. Verse 25 says, to whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the, one, the Holy One. The answer is no one. Our last verse, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. God is greater than anything on this earth, and finally, God is greater than anything in heaven. Much of the pagan religions that Judah was surrounded by during their captivity worshipped astrological gods. The stars above their sky might have been many, but look who created them. God, by just the power of his word, spoke them into existence. It was dark and there was nothing all of a sudden, and there they were. The God of Judah also knows each one by name. And by the greatness of his might and by the power of his strength, not one will fall from the sky outside of his will. So let's consider for a moment God's greatness in relations to the stars above. According to the ESV Study Bible notes, astronomers now estimate that there are more than 400 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy Alone. Now, if you don't know how many uh, stars that is, well, for example, if you know what, how many a million is, if you have a thousand of those, that is equal to one billion. And so it's estimated that there are more than 400 billion stars in our galaxy alone. There are 125 galaxies in the universe. Now, how vast do you think our universe is? Now, if there are, get this, if there are approximately 125 billion galaxies in the universe, then there is an estimated 1 times 10 to the 22nd power, or 10 billion trillion stars in heaven. Here's the greatness of God, the Holy One. He not only created them, but he calls each one by name. Here's the greatness of the Holy One, the greatness of God. In his power and strength and might, not one will fall from the sky. Trinity, behold the greatness of God. Letting the greatness of God make us feel small and tiny and insignificant. Do you ever feel so small and insignificant that you wonder if God really cares about your hurts? Do you ever wonder, does God even notice me? Oh, be encouraged, brothers and sisters in Christ. God does not count you as if you are nothing, as if you are empty or less than nothing. He knows you by name. John 10 tells us that Jesus calls his own sheep by name, and he knows us by our name and that no one can snatch us out of his hand. Are you hurting? Are you feeling broken? in your present circumstances. Take heart and joy, brothers and sisters in Christ. The same God who numbers and names the stars in the sky can heal your broken heart. Psalm 147 verses three and four says this. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up the wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives them all their names. In conclusion, verses 12 to 26 is not bookend by God's greatness and otherness, but it is bookend by God's nearness and tenderness. In verse 11, Isaiah speaks of God's eminence or his nearness God will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Trinity, God is carrying you near his heart and he is gently leading those with young. In verses 29, God gives power to those who are faint and gives strength to those who are weak. Trinity, behold the greatness of God. God in his supreme greatness ministers to you and me and he not only is absolutely incomparable but he also cares for us deeply. This great God, this infinite Lord came to us in human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to deliver us from the bondage of sin. He came to ransom us from the wages of our sin, and he came to reconcile us to God the Father so that we can be with him forever. Would you stand and respond in worship with me, church?